Hello, and welcome to Banking Transformed. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Banking Report and co-publisher of the financial brand. Research from the Digital Banking Report has found that the biggest barrier to successful digital banking transformation is legacy leadership and culture that is unable to embrace the skills and mindsets needed for the future of banking. The future of banking and the future of work has made it clear that a different type of leader is required to guide people and organizations to success in the next decade. The question is whether the financial services industry's leaders at all levels can embrace change, take risks, and disrupt themselves. We're joined today by Jacob Morgan, futurist, TED speaker, and best-selling author of four books, including his newest book, The Future Leader. On the show, Jacob shares insights from his in-depth research of how leadership is changing, what leadership is going to look like in the future, and what we need to do now to be future-ready leaders. Welcome to the show, Jacob. First of all, I wanted to mention that you are the second person from your family I've had on the show. Your wife, Blake, joined us actually almost exactly a year ago discussing how to win the digital consumer. A lot has changed in your life since then with the addition of a baby boy. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I've been wanting to have you on this show for quite some time to discuss your most recent book, The Future Leader, where you interviewed 140 top CEOs from around the world and surveyed more than 14,000 LinkedIn users about the future of work and the skills and mindsets needed to succeed in the future. My first question is, knowing that your research was done before COVID-19 changed the world, were any of your findings derailed by what happened earlier this year, or were they just reinforced? I don't think the findings changed. Um, so the, the mindsets and skills that I explore in my book are still applicable. But I think the, the, the biggest change is that originally I was very focused on the future. And so the book is obviously called The Future Leader. And my goal was to write a book which explores how is leadership changing and what do we need to do now in order to be successful over the next decade and beyond. And as a result of COVID, Black Lives Matter, you know, a lot of the stuff that's been happening in the world, really what it has done is it has shrunk in that timeline. In other words, the future leader is now the present leader. So that I think has been the biggest change is the, the timeline has shrunk. And it's interesting because in, in writing about your book and reading your book, you talk about what's needed to be a leader for the future, but also the challenges. It really puts a sense of urgency on the things that you defined in your book as being important. And, you know, to your point, it really sped up everything, but it makes it so that you you can't sit on the sideline and say, you know what, I'll get to this later. It really, the whole aspect of everything you talk about in the book is really things that have to be done right now. And it's very similar to the digital transformation that's going on in banking. So, you know, what's interesting is in your book, you divide your analysis into four mindsets and five skills that leaders need to adopt in order to succeed in the future. Can you discuss the segmentation a bit? So to give people a little bit of context, from these CEOs that I interviewed, there was a collection of, as you mentioned, four mindsets and five skills, which I like to think of as, uh, or I called them the notable nine. So I asked all these CEOs two questions. One is, what are going to be the most crucial mindsets that leaders need to practice? And what are the most crucial skills that leaders are going to need to master? And so these notable nine are the most common things that kept coming up from all the conversations. So the four mindsets, and I gave them all you know, kind of fun names, uh, the mindset of the explorer, the chef, the servant, and the global citizen. 
And then we had the five skills were uh, the futurist, Yoda, the translator, the coach, the technology teenager. So the explorer mindset is really all about realizing that where you are now is not where you're always going to be. It's about being agile and nimble. It's about having that, that growth mindset mentality of you can become better. You can become more capable, more talented. You're not in a static position in life. Challenges are meant to be overcome. They're not meant to dictate where you are going to be both personally and professionally. This also means that you are a perpetual learner, meaning you take more accountability over your personal and professional development. So that's the explorer mindset. It's also about you know, partly surrounding yourself by people who are not like you, being open to new ideas, cultures, backgrounds, uh, people. The mindset of the chef is about balancing two ingredients that you as a leader need to have. And those two ingredients are technology and humanity. We need both of them, right? I mean, you need technology to be efficient, productive, to be able to scale, but you also need the human aspect of work to be able to attract and retain top talent, build relationships. You know, this is especially crucial in banking, which is a very heavy relationship-based industry. So you can't just only have technology in there. You still need to build those relationships uh, and focus on the people aspect. So the balance of those two is the mindset of the chef. And the idea here is, just like a chef who balances a lot of ingredients to make a great tasting and, and beautiful dish, you as a leader need to balance these two ingredients because if you skew too much towards one or the other, the dish, so to speak, becomes out of balance. Next, we have the mindset of the servant, which is about humility and vulnerability. And it's also about understanding that you serve your leaders if you have them, you serve your customers, you serve your team, and it's also about serving yourself, meaning practicing self-care, which is something a lot of leaders forget. And next, we have the mindset of the global citizen. The mindset of the global citizen is really thinking about big picture, not just looking at what's right in front of you, but trying to see the whole chessboard, so to speak, not just where the action's going on. And the global citizen mindset at its core is about surrounding yourself by people who are not like you. Uh, so physical diversity, cognitive diversity, people who don't have the same backgrounds. You really need to seek out diverse and inclusive teams, get different perspectives and ideas. So those are the four mindsets. I like to think of the mindsets as kind of like the, the operating system. So just like when you turn on your computer or your, your phone or whatever device you're using, it goes through a couple seconds of booting up the, you know, the operating system. These mindsets should be your operating system as a leader. It's interesting as you as you went to the mindsets, how apropos they became in a COVID world. Mm -hmm. You know, especially when you look at the the global citizen and things of this nature, what may have been thought to be a little nebulous or hard to define, really took on some some real meaning and some context given what we've gone through in the last seven or eight months. Yeah, I mean, the importance of focusing on the human aspect of leadership has also been very crucial, especially as we're letting a lot of people into our homes. You know, we're, we're having phone calls with people from our bedrooms, our kitchens, our living rooms, sometimes our closets. Uh, you're seeing kids, your spouses. So you're really getting an inside look into how people live and who they are. So a lot of these mindsets, you know, the importance of practicing them is even more crucial. And same with the skills, which I'll go over as well. At the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned I teamed up with LinkedIn. We surveyed nearly 14,000 employees around the world. And one of the things that we did is we looked at how well are leaders practicing these mindsets today. And so there's a very big gap because a lot of leaders would say they're doing a pretty good job of practicing these skills and mindsets. But the reality is that 
when we asked employees who work for these leaders, how well are your leaders practicing these mindsets and skills? They said they're doing a pretty bad job. So just to give you some context around this, 60% of employees put their leaders in the categories of practicing these mindsets, not well at all or somewhat well. Okay. 60%. This is in stark difference to leaders who the vast majority of themselves, I think near 70%, said they're doing a a very good job. So it's almost a complete opposite. There's like a 30% gap between how well leaders think they're doing versus how well the people who work for these leaders think they're doing. So a lot of room for improvement here. In fact, only 6% of mid-level and 9% of senior level executives around the world are practicing these mindsets very well. So there's a lot of room for improvement, a lot of room for growth. Uh, So let me jump into the five skills. The first one is the skill of the futurist. This is about thinking in terms of different possibilities and scenarios. This was ranked as the number one skill for leaders to practice. And it's precisely because things are changing so quickly and rapidly all the time that we can't just really pick one path and go down it. We need to be able to think in terms of different scenarios and possibilities. Next, we have the skill of Yoda. This is uh, everyone's favorite one. And Yoda is really about emotional intelligence, specifically empathy and self-awareness. Empathy is about putting yourself into somebody else's shoes and perspectives, uh, understanding where they're coming from. And self-awareness is how well do you know yourself and how well does your perception of yourself align with other people's perception of you? Then we have the skill of the translator, which is about listening and communication. Two things that have been around since the dawn of time, but also two things that are changing the most because we have so many different platforms and tools at our disposal. And just just the very nature of how we listen and communicate is different. We're distracted. We're being pulled in a lot of different directions. We have technologies. Everybody wants something from us. So listening and communication has completely been transformed. And then the last two, we have the skill of the coach, which is about helping make other people more successful than you. And that, I think, is an important distinction. It's not just about making people more successful. It needs to have that more successful than you component in there, because that's really where you start to put in the time, the resources, and the energy. And the last one is about the skill of the technology teenager And that's really about being tech savvy and digitally fluent. So those are the notable nine. Like with the mindsets, the skills, a lot of leaders also are doing a pretty poor job. In fact, only 8% of mid and senior level executives around the world are practicing these skills very well. In fact, 60% of employees around the world put their mid-level leaders in the bottom two categories of not well at all or somewhat well. And the number wasn't that better for top executives. 62% of employees put their top executives in those bottom two categories. And again, this is in stark contrast with how mid and senior level executives evaluated themselves. So the moral of all of this is that perception is reality. And it doesn't matter if you're listening to this and you think, oh yeah, yeah, I'm doing a pretty good job. I, I don't care how well you think you're doing. What matters is how well those around you think you're doing, your coworkers, your peers, uh, those who work for and with you. It's their perception that matters most. When you look at the leaders today and, and the gap, or the performance gap that you, you found between where they are today and where they really need to be, which adjustment do you think will be the hardest for legacy leaders to make to adjust for the future? 
Well, it's tough because different leaders are at different levels for these different skills and mindsets. I mean, some leaders are very good at practicing some of these things and other leaders struggle with them. So it's really hard to say across the board which ones leaders will struggle with the most. I think it depends on the type of leader that you are. If you are a leader who throughout your entire career has practiced traditional management of command and control, delegating, telling people what to do, then you'll probably struggle most with these human aspects of empathy, of self-awareness, of um, surrounding yourself by people who are not like you. So again, it really depends on on where you are as a leader and, and where your strengths and weaknesses lie. The important thing, and this is also one of the common questions that people ask me, is if I could just pick one or two of these things, which one would you pick? And I wish it was that easy that you could just pick one thing and do a really good job at it and poof, you're amazing. Unfortunately, if you want to be a great leader now and in the future, you need to excel at all nine of these things. It's a big haul at times. You know, on the cover of your book, you have a lighthouse, which you've mentioned in other interviews that signify the importance of guiding others through rough seas to reach their destination safely. But your first mindset is that leaders also need to be explorers, which is continually learning with flexibility and agility. Is this paradox of being both flexible and steadfast a big challenge for leaders of the future? Yes and no. I mean, the image of a lighthouse, which, by the way, Blake helped me come up with that. Um, (laughs) Because I was struggling for a long time to come up with an image for the cover of the book because we had a telescope on there signifying looking to the future. We had... Uh, an image of like uh, an airplane leading other airplanes and, and none of that stuff really resonated well and it was all done before. I was going to say a little bit cliche. Your, yours definitely was not and, and the rationale is even better. So Exactly. It's all very cliche. It's all been done before. And really, as you pointed out, the, the way that I've talked about leadership and the way that I view it is as a leader, there's kind of two parts. First is, of course, you need to build yourself up to become this big, great, bold lighthouse with this huge light that you can shine onto others uh, and onto the sea of uncertainty that we're all a part of. So part of it is, of course, learn these things, master these things, build yourself up. But the important part that people need to remember is that a lighthouse without ships in the water is useless. And the, the point of all this is that you can, you can be amazing, right? I mean, you, you can think you're a great leader, you're practicing empathy and self-awareness, but if you can't guide anybody, if there are no ships in the water who you can help become successful, then what's the point? It, leadership is not about you, it's about other people. And so if you do these things purely for your own self-interest, it's not really, you know, that's not the point. So that's the importance of the visual of a lighthouse. It's to show that it's not just about you, it's about others and guiding others. So in regards to your second question about being steadfast, it's not so much about being steadfast. It is much more about being agile and nimble. It's steadfast in terms of being consistent by practicing these mindsets and skills, not steadfast in terms of not willing to change. With the marketplace also changing so quickly, it's a moving target to a degree. You know, it's, it's a little bit tougher that way as well. Yeah. You know, I've written, written about in reference to challenge in banking, where new management hires are initially put through a rotation program, with the purpose being to see how things are done at the bank. Is this traditional leadership training counterproductive, where you take somebody out of an educational f- format or out of another organization and basically preconditioned them into the way things are done there as opposed to giving them the flexibility to bring new ideas to the table? 
Yeah, there's a lot of issues with, I think, a lot of leadership training programs. That's certainly one of them, right? You know, if you have a leadership program that teaches people a way to do things instead of incorporating also their ideas and things that they may have seen or experienced, I think you're selling your leadership program short because things are changing quickly and everybody brings in new perspectives and new ideas. So there should be a component of every kind of leadership training and development program where the people who participate have the ability to provide feedback or suggestions or ideas and share what they've seen and experienced so that these things can evolve. A lot of organizations around the world, not just in banking, view leadership programs as a static thing. But that's sort of like viewing the workforce as a static thing. That's like viewing the world as a static thing. And as we know, things change increasingly quickly. I mean, the pace of change is one of the top challenges that these CEOs identified for leaders. So if things are changing quickly, then guess what? Your approach to training your leaders needs to change quickly and evolve over time. The other kind of really scary thing that I found is that most people actually become leaders at some point in their 20s, you know, maybe mid to late 20s, maybe you're supervising, uh, you know, a couple of people at a bank, you know, a couple of tellers, but that's your first foray into leadership in some capacity. Unfortunately, most people don't get leadership training, formal leadership training, until they're in their 30s or early 40s, which means that there is a period of anywhere from like 15, in some cases, 20 years, where you have leaders at your company who are leading without any kind of training. And so what do they do? they make stuff up, you know, they're not effective. They, they find stuff from other places and they kind of cobble things together. And that creates a lot of challenges. And then when you put them through a more formal leadership training, they're already conditioned to different practices and habits. We have traditionally viewed leadership as like this exclusive, if you do well, then you'll get access to this really amazing training that only a select few people get. But why would you not want everybody to go through this training? Why would you not want everybody in your workforce to practice these skills and mindsets? It doesn't make any sense to only have this locked for a few select people who happen to be high performers. That is a mentality that I think a lot of organizations need to get over. Well, it's interesting because high performance may actually work against being a good leader. My son's a lacrosse player, and one of the first things he said when he went to university was the fact that, you know, to be a team captain, be a leader in the team is not necessarily mean you're the best player. Mm -hmm. It's simply saying you have the best skills to teach others, to bring others along, to lead. And he actually wrote a paper about it. But it, it's interesting because, you know, sometimes you, you learn from people much younger than you that have gone through a lot less life experiences. But that's, you know, that's exactly what you just said, that, you know, sometimes the people that you think deserve that leadership opportunity, may be the least prepared or least able to do it, while other people may bring everything to the table from the dynamic of humanized behavior and ability to communicate things of that nature that are, are key. You hit the, you know, the proverbial nail on the head, right? A lot of people chase success to the point of like, they focus on the dollars and cents, and that could lead to all sorts of things. Uh, you know, maybe you're lying, you're taking credit for other people's work, you're putting other people down, you're, you know, so purely looking at financial performance or being a high performer as a measure of success, I don't think is the right way to approach leadership either, because there are a lot of jerks out there who are really good at their jobs, but they're not good at working with other people. And more and more, we're starting to see organizations say and take this approach of, 
you might be a really great individual performer, but you're not good with people and you treat people poorly. And either we're not going to have you at this company, we're willing to make that sacrifice, or you can stay at this company, but you're never going to get into a leadership role. You're always going to be an individual contributor. One of the more recent dynamics around the future work and leadership is the remote work environment. How does somebody effectively lead remote teams? Is it the, Are they the same skill sets or they have to adjust a little bit given the fact that there's not the direct interaction as we're used to? I think there is a fair amount of adjustment and the adjustment I think comes in a couple of different areas. So first there's like very basic stuff that people forget about. And then there's, you know, kind of more of the specific leadership stuff, the very basics that people forget. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen this where you get on a phone call with a leader, you know, you, you can't hear them well, you can't see them well. So in a remote environment, the very basics before you do anything else is Make sure that people can see and hear you. Get a good quality mic. Get a good quality camera. Make sure that you're not sitting behind, you know, a big ball of light so that you're just a silhouette. And I know this sounds kind of funny to say, but in an in-person environment, people can see and hear you clearly. And if you're trying to motivate your your people, uh, deliver some sort of inspirational message, it's not going to be possible if people can't hear and see you. So that's like the very basic stuff of making sure you have the right equipment because you could be the most inspirational leader out there. You can give the, the greatest talks, you know, in person and, you know, be wonderful for your all hands uh, or town hall meetings when everyone's around you. But in a virtual environment, guess what? The Sometimes it's the basic stuff that matters most, seeing and hearing. Now, getting more into leadership, I do think there is a difference because... As a leader, when you're in person, you can see body language, you can do a better job of sensing tone, you have the environment that you're in, like it's, it's different. In a virtual environment, you're really just looking into a dot. You know, oftentimes you, if you're looking at the person, then it looks like you're looking down. So you're, you know what I mean? Like the camera's usually in front of you. So there's that weird dynamics. You need to be comfortable looking into a dot, so to speak, and kind of managing what you're looking at and paying attention to things. I think in a virtual environment, it's even more crucial to pay attention to the employee as a human being. So how are you doing? You know, starting off the phone calls, starting off your meetings with not how are those sales numbers or how's the project going, but how are you doing? Are you safe? Is your family okay? Are you, know, are you stressed out? You know, really focusing on the human aspect of leadership there. I think leading by example is also very crucial. So being vulnerable as a leader, having humility and vulnerability, and making yourself even more accessible for people to get in touch with you and to ask questions. Your job as a leader, your number one job as a leader is to serve others. In an in-person environment, you can stop by somebody's desk, somebody can come over to you. In a virtual environment, sometimes people might not feel as comfortable to do that. So you need to be okay to be proactive in letting people know that you're there, you're going to serve them, you're there to help them, and to really let people know that that's your role and why you, know, why you exist as a leader. There are some challenges there because you know, leading a team that you can't see in person is not the same thing as leading a virtual team. But I think if you do get the microphone, you do get the, the camera, you pay attention to your employees as individuals, as human beings, you make an extra effort to create regular check-ins and to communicate with people. You make an extra effort to go above and beyond and to remove obstacles from the past of your employees. I think you will have a more successful time as a virtual leader. One of the questions I often get around leaders of the future 
is what should middle managers do if the top of their organization is stuck in what I'll call legacy mode? Is there a way to build future leadership organization from the middle? There is. And I ask this question to a lot of CEOs when I interview them. And I say, you know, I, I get a lot of employees who always tell me that, oh, you know, I'd love to practice these mindsets and skills, but my executive team doesn't support it. The leaders, those around me don't support it. And the, the biggest response I got from all these CEOs is, give me a break. That's a cop out. Nobody is keeping you from practicing these mindsets and skills. Nobody is keeping you from, you know, being the leader that, that you need other people to be. And if those around you don't support it, it doesn't mean that you can't do these things. And what will happen over time is other people will either start to emulate your behavior or you're going to end up leading the organization. But don't let other people dictate what you can and cannot do from a leadership perspective. So, for example, empathy. You know, if you want to practice empathy and self-awareness and those around you don't, that's okay. You can still do it. And like I said, worst case scenario, you can always leave the company, switch roles. And this is the biggest lesson that a lot of these CEOs told me is they do the things they know are important. And if those around them don't support it, like I'll give you one example. One CEO that I talked to was telling me that he started his role off in IT and he worked for somebody who was, who was kind of a jerk. And he told me the first time he was in a meeting, he was 24 years old and he rose his hand up to, to ask a question. And the, you know, the executive of the company basically said, who the hell are you and who gave you permission to speak? Right. And this is a team of 20 people. They're sitting in a conference room. And this executive told this uh, employee that. And, uh, you know, first he was he was very shocked. He was taken aback. And then everybody said, oh, don't worry. He talks to everybody like that. Now, in a lot of environments, this would cause somebody to change. You know, I'm not going to speak up anymore. I'm just going to keep to myself. I'm not going to build relationships. The culture doesn't support it. This leader didn't do that. He still continued to be vulnerable, to still speak up, to practice empathy, to do all the things that are important. And what happened over time is that he got promoted over this boss who was a jerk. You know, and he didn't get revenge on him. He didn't do anything mean to him, but he was able to change the corporate culture after he got promoted to that point. So yeah, I mean, you can change regardless of the level that you're in. You need to be patient. You need to have thick skin. You need to keep doing the things that you need to do. And like I said, worst case scenario is you will end up somewhere else if your current environment is not a good fit. You know, I'm really excited. Today I'm announcing that Microsoft has become a brand new Banking Transform podcast sponsor. We're really, really happy to have them on board and excited about the partnership as we grow it going forward. Just for all those who aren't aware of it, Microsoft and its partners are helping banks reinvent payments, combat financial crime, manage risk, empower employees, and deliver a differentiated customer experience across all channels in a digital and physical world. Microsoft's focus is providing services that facilitate a trusted cloud with pervasive intelligence that allows banks to reimagine how they operate and deliver services. If you're a financial institution that is really looking to embrace digital transformation, make your experiences better for your consumers, and to really look forward at how technology, innovation, data, analytics can all work together in the world of digital banking transformation, be sure to check out Microsoft. For more information, visit Microsoft.com slash financial services.
in your book, a lot of the mindsets and skills are, are basically good human skills as well. I yeah. mean, they're good leadership skills, but they're good human skills. And I think the one that really stands out, maybe because I, I believe in it the most, is that that middle managers looking for a way to be a good leader while also expanding his or her realm of responsibility and, and make it so that others come along is that lifelong learning element mm -hmm. whereby if you stay static because those above you are static, your destiny is kind of defined for you. It's where you are. You know, we talked about before you get on the air, the fact that you've done some pivots since COVID, your, your wife and you both. And, and the, the reality is it's a learning experience. It's, it's, it's interesting because it's also the reason why I do this podcast is it, it's become the greatest learning experience of my life because on a weekly basis, I have the ability to, to speak with people that I would never reach out to, would never have a reason to, and to pick their brains at the same time in the way they pick mine as well. But I, I think, you know, when you look at that middle management, the part that probably, especially in a COVID environment, is most important is to get out of your comfort zone and, and expand your learning. Because if you do so, you will impact others to do the same. Being static is, is not a, a good place to be right now. So when you look out to the marketplace today, what organizations stand out to you as the best in terms of leadership, position for the future, and why? Oh, man. You know, there are a few organizations that consistently pop into mind. Microsoft is one of them. And I just recently interviewed their... Um, president of Microsoft in the US. And they're very big believers in practicing leadership through this learn it all mentality, not a know it all mentality. They're also very big on this practice of, uh, of empathy. And so I think they are an organization out there that certainly has things going in the right direction because they're, they're practicing and teaching their employees the very skills and mindsets that, that I've talked about, but they've been doing it for, for a while. So I think they're very well positioned to do well in the coming years. I think uh, a company like Taylor Morrison, it's a home builder, but I interviewed their, their CEO for my book, Cheryl Palmer, and she's also very big on this practice of putting people first. You know, She's practicing many of the mindsets and skills and encouraging her employees to do so as well. She shared this story with me in the book of how she had a brain tumor, and the night before she was being operated on, there was like this merger or sale that was going on. And she wanted to make sure that her people were going to be taken care of if everything went through. And so the night before her life-threatening brain tumor operation, she was actually taking care of her people and making sure that if the deal went through, that nobody, you know, that everybody would be okay at the end, at the other end of it. And so that's, you know, a very good example of what it means to really serve others and put other people before yourself. So I think Taylor Morrison's an interesting company to look at. Cisco has done some interesting things as well, as far as practicing these skills and mindsets. So those are the ones that, that come into mind. I know a lot of people always talk about Google and Facebook. They're doing a good job as well with a lot of these mindsets and skills, removing cognitive bias, uh, focusing on diversity inclusion. Smile Brands, I interviewed their CEO a little while ago. I think they have around 5,000 employees and they've received pretty much every award that exists out there, as did their CEO, Steve Bilt. So that's another company that I think is worth paying attention to. I think it's interesting. When you look at, especially in the COVID environment, those organizations that did not look at the things they had to do to pivot for a digital world as a checklist, those who did not look at it as that, you really see that the leadership says, you know, we've got to really change. And, and that's the hardest part about this whole thing. Change, change is tough. 
You know, it, it's not fun. And and sometimes it takes a crisis to move the needle, even the littlest a bit. And, you know, it's easy to minimize the challenge of embracing change, taking risks and, and disrupting either yourself and or an organization. Where should somebody start? Because it's, you know, I look at your book and you have great ideas throughout the book, but they don't go in order. Do you, do you start with the one that you're maybe closest to? Do you start with the one that you're farthest from achieving? Is there a specific place where you really believe that if somebody's going to open the doors to, to change and expose themselves, where should they start? As you mentioned, nobody likes change. I heard a great quote a little while ago, which was basically that um, nobody likes to drive down to Disneyland, but everybody loves it when they get there. And so... <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah you know, no, nobody likes whether you're in Northern California, where I am driving to Southern California, or whether you're flying somewhere. No, nobody likes the actual trip to Disneyland. But once everybody gets there, everyone's like, oh, man, this place is amazing. So in other words, it's not the change that people don't like. It is the process of change. Because usually what happens is after the change or the transformation occurs, everybody says, oh, yeah, this isn't so bad. It's actually pretty good. But it's the process of going through that that a lot of people are just, uh, you know, dreading. So in the book, the challenge that I basically give is the 1% a day challenge, which is if you can improve by 1% a day, then by the end of the year, you'll be 37 times better. So that's the big challenge that I have for everybody. Think about what you can do on a regular basis to just be 1% better. Maybe that means one day that you listen to a podcast for 20 minutes to learn something new. Maybe another day you just go up to one of your coworkers and say, hey, just want to say thank you for the work that you're doing. I appreciate you um, and thank you. Maybe another time it is, you know, when you're putting together a team, you put together a diverse team of people who look differently and believe different things. Like it's, it's little things that you do on an ongoing and a regular basis that are going to make all the difference. So that is the number one piece of advice I can give to anybody. Uh, ben Franklin had a great quote where he said, small strokes fell great oaks. So what are the small strokes that you can do every day to chop down that big tree at the end of the year? I always use the analogy because it's more personal to me is the, the whole issue of losing weight or getting fit, getting healthier is that the doctor keeps on telling you how to do it and you keep on knowing what's got to be done and, and you, you want to be that your best self. The challenge is being that mm -hmm. and, and going through the process of change. And as you said, it's a behavioral adjustment, number one. Number two, you don't have to do it all at once. You, you can't, unless you cut off a leg, you know, lose 40 to 50 pounds in a, in a fell swoop. You, you, got, you got to take a little bit at a time from the inside out. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's key to say, surround yourself with others that will reinforce good behavior, commit to people that you're going to do this, this, and this, and then have them hold you accountable if you don't achieve that. Because it, it number one, it's great when you achieve it and you get that positive reinforcement, but it also makes it so you're you're responsible to more than yourself, which is somewhat of an empathetic uh, viewpoint. Yep. When you look at where leadership is today, and it's all different for different organizations, but what should keep leaders up at night right now? The big thing, and this might sound a little counterintuitive, but for many years, leaders, I think, had the luxury of operating in the gray area, meaning they never wanted to take a stance on things because they didn't want to upset customers or employees. They kind of wanted to keep everybody happy. And so, you know, leaders were usually very quiet about what they believe in, what they stand for, what they want to see happen. They're just kind of like, eh, you know, I don't want to talk about it. And so I think what should keep leaders up at night is not that people are going to disagree with you based on your beliefs, but it's that people don't know what you stand for to begin with. Because as a leader, that to me is a very scary thing. 
you're leading employees, oftentimes, you know, whether you're leading two employees or whether you're just leading a small team or a big team, people need to know what you stand for, what you believe in, what you care about. And for me, what should keep uh, leaders up at night is the fear that people don't know that. Because that is, again, where the trust comes from, the psychological safety comes from. I think these are very, very crucial. Uh, this is a very, very crucial thing to have. So I think that should probably be one of the number one things that keeps leaders up at night is people not knowing what you stand for, what you believe in, what you're willing to fight for. Well, that's interesting because that falls into culture. But also, if something you can say about organizations as a whole, that really, again, really got illustrated in a what I'm going to call the post-COVID environment in that consumers now have had time to think. They've had a time to evaluate. They've had time to see things with a lot of distraction, but really look and say, who do I want to do business with in the future? In much the same way as who do I want to be led by in the future? And the key is if a person doesn't know what your organization stands for, you're going to be lost and you're simply going to be wrapped into the whole industry as, as one of them, um, whatever one of them is. And I, I think, you know, when you look at the social aspects of everything going on, the sustainability aspects of what's going on in the banking industry and other industries, is you've really had a way to expose organizations as to what they stand for and what they're going to be doing going forward. And some of those, as you referenced, are not necessarily the easiest decisions. Taking a stand on, on Black Lives Matter, for instance, or on gender equality, or on investment in the community even, you know, to go beyond words and actually to show what you stand for is a really big dynamic that I think is needed um, for consumers as well. Finally, uh, Jacob, how do people get your excellent book and keep in touch with what your perspectives are on leadership, culture, and the future of work? Sure. So I can give you a couple of resources. One is if you go to theleadershipdigest.com, you'll be able to get a downloadable PDF that goes over these skills and mindsets, and you'll see some quotes from the CEOs. If you want to get the book, it's available wherever books are sold. I think we have a URL for it as well called getfutureleaderbook.com. There is an assessment that people can take if they want at Future Leader Survey. If you are interested in taking this stuff even further, there's a whole course at futureleadercourse.com. Uh, so my website is The Future Organization, and my email is jacob at thefutureorganization.com if anybody has any questions or comments. Jacob, thanks for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. As I said, I've been looking forward to it because it's the hardest thing to get our arms around is, is leadership. Yeah. But it's also the most important for the very element of the fact that these people are the people that are leading the organization. And at a time when leadership in all elements of our life are being questioned and are being challenged and what makes a good leader, it's not just followers. It's sometimes uh, the, saying the right thing, doing the right things and sticking to it is your identity. I don't have to agree with it, but the reality is that's what you need. So yep. really appreciate you being on the show today and tell your wife I said hello. I will, I will. And uh, we'll look forward to having you on the show again sometime. Yeah, that'd be fun anytime. And thanks for the work that you're doing, highlighting this stuff. I think this is important. So transforming the baking industry. So keep doing the good work. Don't stand still, as they exactly. say. Exactly. <laughs> thanks, Jacob. Appreciate it. What a timely topic with Jacob Morgan. Talking about leadership and the importance of really getting these qualities in place, it's more important now than ever before. As we mentioned in the broadcast, you know, the Digital Banking Report continues to show 
that if you don't have a good leader, it's going to be very difficult to move forward, but not impossible. The ability for middle management to have an impact on the overall organization is still there, but waiting to see when it works best or waiting until the top leadership moves before you move is not a good option. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, rated as a top five banking podcast. I genuinely appreciate the support you have provided since we started this endeavor. If you enjoy what we're doing, please be sure to subscribe to Banking Transformed on your favorite podcast app or on the financial brand. In addition, please take 30 to 45 seconds to show some love in the form of a review. It really means the world to all of us. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out the research we're doing on digital transformation, the future of work in banking, retail banking innovation, and the changing dynamics of financial marketing for the Digital Banking Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, and audio engineer, Sean Rule Hoffman. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, continue to expand your horizon and follow your passion. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.